a Jewish man around Passover time in the first century rode a donkey into Jerusalem. That's not a surprise. That happened all the time. Why is this a big deal? We'll find out. The Gospel of John is written by the disciple John. And at the end of this book, he tells us that the reason he puts these stories about Jesus in this book is because he wants you to believe. It is all of these things are written so that we may believe. And that's his goal. And I can't think of a better example than these verses that we're going to be dealing with today because it really points very strongly to how much God wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, in our lives, and this is associated with what we're talking about, I promise, but in our lives, there are days that are really important. There are days that we remember better than others. In my own life, I can think of October 24th. That's my wedding anniversary. It also happened to be we got married on the one-year anniversary of our first date. And so October 24th is an important day to me. It's one that I remember and, and care about because it's important to me. And so I think about that day every year. And I try to, try to remind Juliet why she married me every year. And so far, so good. So keep praying for me that she'll always love me. But August 26th is another important day. For me, because that was the day that my daughter Cara was born. But there are some days that go beyond the personal and are remembered because of how momentous they are in history. Let me give you a few. Maybe you know what this day is, a day that will live in infamy. It's Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. Is that moment that ushered in America into World War II. Here's another one, never forget. Anyone who was alive that day knows that phrase and remembers it well. September 11th, 2001, that day echoed through history, through the globe, because it woke America up to a danger and put us on the offensive. There's another date in American history that echoes through because it, it started this nation July 4th, 1776. That was the date that the Declaration of Independence was signed. John Hancock made sure that his signature was so big that the king couldn't miss it because he really wanted to make sure he knew we were serious about our freedom. And the most free and prosperous nation that has ever existed was born from that moment. These are days that echo through history because they're important, because they change the events of the world. Now, what we're going to be reading about tonight is a day that's much bigger than any of those. This day changed the course of history, and I think sometimes we overlook its significance. So let's look in John chapter 12 at what we're talking about. So starting in verse 12, it says, The next day... 
the next day from what? Uh, Jesus had just had dinner with a bunch of his friends. That's what we talked about last week. He had dinner with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and his disciples, as well as Simon the leper. And that was our point of conversation last week. But it's the next day. It is the 10th of Nizan in the Jewish calendar. That's the day that we're dealing with. That day, a great multitude that heard uh, come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, that's not all that momentous. Jesus was a Jewish man in the first century when the temple was there. And if you were a Jewish man in the first century, during Passover time, you would be required to go to the temple and to Jerusalem. But it's not that unusual for a Jewish male to go to Jerusalem in Passover. That's supposed to happen. But it's Jesus. And there's a crowd. And what did they do? They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so John takes a quotation from Zechariah 9, 9, and he says, Jesus did just what was written in Zechariah. I'm saying this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, this isn't that interesting. Yet, a Jewish man around Passover time in the first century rode a donkey into Jerusalem. That's not a surprise. That happened all the time. Why is this a big deal? We'll find out. It says, his disciples did not understand those things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about him and they had done these things to him. So even the disciples are confused as of this moment. But after Jesus' resurrection, they get it. So therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had, that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So what's going on? Jesus Jewish man in the first century rides a donkey into Jerusalem at the time he's supposed to. It's not that strange. But because it's Jesus and stories have circulated around who he is and what he's done, people are starting to find out. We think he's the Messiah. And they wave palm branches and they shout Hosanna because they believe he's the Messiah. And they lay palm branches down and wave palm branches at him as he rides this donkey. It's Jesus' coronation on earth. And even the Pharisees, who have been working together to try to harm Jesus, to try to kill Jesus, to get rid of him, they see the reaction of the crowd in Jerusalem, and they say, what we're doing isn't working. Look, they love him. That's the day, that's the moment we're talking about. Why is this day in history so big? Why is it such a big deal? Well, it goes back to a really long time ago. See, it doesn't seem that weird for a Jewish man to, in the first century to be riding a donkey. It certainly doesn't seem weird for one to be riding a donkey into Jerusalem during Passover when you're supposed to. But there was a prophecy, and John quoted it. It's from Zechariah 9.9, and it says, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, it still doesn't seem all that impressive. I mean, if I was a first century Jew and a rabbi like Jesus, I would have known that. It would have been easy for me to get a donkey and ride into Jerusalem and say, look, it's me. I'm the one the prophecy's talking about. Except there's a whole lot more going on. And we're going to find out why this day sometimes gets overlooked. We've lost stuff in church history. We've forgotten things that make this day stand out. Now, first, there was a moment. Jacob, a man named Jacob, he is Abraham's grandson, way back in the Old Testament in Genesis. He is the one whose name was changed to Israel, and all the Israelites are descendants of Jacob. Now, Jacob came to Egypt towards the end of his life. And in that moment, as he's passing away, he's blessing all of his sons, all 12 of Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. He's blessing them, and he says something very interesting to Judah. And this echoes through the whole Old Testament and leads us eventually to this moment. So I hope tonight you're going to see why this day is the day, one of the most important days in all of human history. And so in Genesis 49, starting in verse 8, it says this, Judah This is Jacob blessing his son, and he says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of his people. And so Jacob is predicting that Judah will be the one, the clan that leads the way. And a descendant of Judah, the scepter will not pass from him, meaning the royal line, the royal lineage of Israel will run through the tribe of Judah. So whomever the Messiah is, he must come from the tribe of Judah. And as the Old Testament plays out, you see that narrowed down ultimately to David and then David's royal lineage through the books of Kings and Chronicles. And that person must be a descendant from them, from the tribe of Judah, from a a descendant of David. The scepter will not pass from him, but also all the way back, In Genesis 49, this is about 1800 B.C. It says this, Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So whomever this person is going to be, a donkey and a the colt, the foal of a donkey, is going to be very important, all predicted all the way back in 1800 BC. And it says that he will, his garments will be washed in blood. 
is his blood that saves. Well, I hope this just got a little bit more interesting for you because it doesn't end there. Now, we've talked about his clothes being washed in blood and how his blood saves. Well, interestingly, this day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem is also the 10th of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. Well, the 10th of Nisan is a particular day. We find out what that day is in Exodus 12, which says this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So moving from a cultural calendar where the month of Nisan was the first month, or the seventh month, it now becomes the first month. And Moses and Aaron are in Egypt, and God is speaking to them, and he's telling them, I have a plan to set my people free from slavery. This is what you have to do. And this now becomes the central moment of Jewish history. Because this you must celebrate and remember. So much so that this now becomes the first, calend- the first month of your calendar year. This kicks off your year every year. This is how you are to remember this. This moment, how God rescued and redeemed his people from slavery and took them out of Egypt. It says, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, the 10th of Nisan, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. This is Passover. And God is saying, death is coming. The death of the firstborn son is coming for everyone in Egypt, but you will escape death and receive life if you just do this. On the 10th of Nisan, take a lamb. Pick the lamb. Make sure it doesn't have blemish. Make sure it's perfect. And bring that lamb into your house. And take care of it until the 14th. On the 14th, you will slaughter this lamb and then paint the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your house. And when the angel of death sees the blood of the lamb, instead of death, you get life. Well, this happens to be the 10th of Nisan as Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem. And the people have selected him, the lamb of God. John the Baptist once called him when he first saw him, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now the people are choosing Jesus. They're shouting Hosanna and laying palm branches down, and they take him into Jerusalem, where he's taken care of for a few days. And they select their lamb on the 10th. But on the 14th, Jesus is crucified, just like the Passover lamb. And Jesus does it so that his death can give us life. Just like the lamb at Passover. 
The blood of the lamb provides life instead of death. And Jesus is chosen on the 10th of Nizan. Well, it's not always going to happen that the 10th of Nizan happens to fall on this day, right? Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a Sunday, on the 10th. It doesn't always fall on a Sunday, and the 14th doesn't always fall on a Thursday. But this year, it just happened to. It just happened to be perfect to fulfill so much of what God's plan and design is. So Jesus rides in and enters Jerusalem on the selection day for the Lamb. The people select him, and they crucify him on the same day that you kill the Passover Lamb. And then he's resurrected on the day that you celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. And Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning the first of those eternally resurrected to life. And so much had to happen, and so much had to be precise. It's not just a day anymore. It happened to be the perfect day for Jesus to do this. Now, the world right now is a dark place. We live in a place where suicide rates are at an all-time high, where depression and anxiety are at an all-time high. We live in a world where everyone is looking to seek to do what they think is good rather than objective morality and what God says is good. And I got to tell you, I feel a little bit sometimes like the first century Jews wondering, when is the Messiah coming? When is he coming back? Because it feels like everything around me is shouting, he's coming. But the interesting thing is for the second coming of Christ, Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour. We can't know. Even if everything is pointing to him coming back, we can't know when it's going to happen. But the Jews in the first century, that was not the case. They were looking for a Messiah around this time because the timing was predicted. They knew he was on his way and they were waiting. And so this happened to be the right time. And to show you that, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Now, Daniel is predicting something amazing. He says to the Israelites, now, at this point in Daniel's life, Daniel had been taken out of Israel along with all of the Israelites. They have been ejected out of the land of Israel and taken out in exile. But God says, I still have a plan for Israel. I still have a plan for your people. And here is a huge chunk of it, of their whole future. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. And listen to this, to make reconciliation for iniquity. That sounds like Jesus to make reconciliation for sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand 
that from the going forth of the command to restore and build, rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, meaning killed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. What does all of that mean? Daniel is saying there are 70 weeks, 70 seven-year periods that are related to the nation of Israel. And these seven-year periods must be fulfilled. And what will they do? They will finish transgression and make reconciliation for iniquity or sin. They will bring in everlasting righteousness and seal up all vision and prophecy. And they will anoint the most holy. That's what is happening. And he says, after seven weeks and 62 weeks, then Messiah shall be cut off, killed. But those seven weeks and 62 weeks, or in total, 69 seven-year periods, that will come after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, specifically the streets and the wall. And we know from the book of Nehemiah that King Artaxerxes of Persia, in March 14th, 445 BC, stamped into approval the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem and the streets. And so 90 years later, part of Daniel's prediction has come true and the countdown begins. Now, that part came true 90 years later, and now we've got 69 seven-year periods to wait for Messiah to show up and be cut off or killed. Well, what does that equal? 483 years. 483 years from that moment in March 14th, 445 B.C. And if you do the math, which um, there's a man who did, and he wrote a book called The Coming Prince. His name was Sir Robert Anderson. And he did the math, and he utilized a Babylonian and Persian calendar and a Jewish calendar, which is based on a lunar calendar, 360 days times 483 years is 173,880 days. And he counted the days from March 14th, 445 BC to see what exact, exact event was happening 173,880 days later. Turns out that day was April 6th, 32 AD, but in the Jewish calendar was the 10th of Nisan, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey where he was selected to be the Passover lamb. And four days later, he was cut off from his people for to make reconciliation for sins. The Bible, starting in Genesis and Exodus and going through the prophets, including Daniel and Zechariah, point to this day so that we cannot be mistaken that when this day happens, it is stamped in our memory because it is the day in human history that was foretold to say that day 
the Lamb of God will arrive. It happens to be the 10th of Nisan for the Passover lamb to be chosen and the day that Daniel said would happen for the Messiah to be cut off. And that day he was chosen to be the Passover lamb as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so it's no longer a small event. It's no longer just a normal day. It's no longer just a guy in the first century who's a Jew going to the temple. It happens to be the exact moment in history when it needed to happen for a Messiah to show up. And someone who lived righteously, which Jesus did. Someone who was chosen to be the Passover lamb, which Jesus was. And someone who could make a sacrifice for our sins because of how he lived. And only one person fits that description in all of human history. And only one person came that day that fit that description. And that's Jesus. And what does all of this mean? This means that when John is writing this in John chapter 12, he's writing so that you would believe. He wants you to believe. Because the gap bridging man and and God, that bridge is Jesus, and he can reconcile our sins so that we can reconnect with God and have a relationship with him and be saved. Now you see the reaction of the Pharisees. This means that if this is happening, they're not happy about it. Because their job isn't quite as necessary anymore. They don't like Jesus. They don't like what he stands for. They want to get rid of him. But in opposing God's plan and opposing God's story, they become part of it, and all they do is help fulfill it. And so this is my plea to you and, and to anyone who hears this. You can push as hard as you want to against God, but the winds of history are always on his side. He is the creator, and his plan will be accomplished. And when you oppose it, all you end up doing is helping him complete his tasks. But the door is open to you to receive Jesus, to repent from your sin, and to be reconciled to God. And this, to me, is one of the most powerful moments in history. When you look at everything that was pointing to this moment, it's so hard to not see the fingerprint of God on it. He has affected and changed and made history happen, and he's so in control, he could pick the day out. Nearly 600 years before it happened, and tell everyone what's going to happen on what day. And it did. And so what does that mean for us? Well, our church is called Come to Life Bible Church. Our vision statement is a place where you are invited to come as you are and see the Bible come to life. I hope that took place today. I hope that the word came alive to you and you saw it like you've never seen it before. But more importantly, that because of that, you got to see Jesus, and you got to know Jesus differently. And you got to see the power of Jesus, the power of God, and experience the Holy Spirit. That's what I hope happened today. But then because of that, our mission statement is this. 
if you were affected. We want to know God deeply through the revelation of his word. We want to love him and our neighbors because Christ first loved us. Remember, there's no greater love than one who would lay his life down for his friends. Jesus did that for us. And to share the good news of the gospel as far as God allows us to reach from next door to across the globe. So what does this mean for us? It means no love share the mission of our church. The Bible has come to life to you. If you've seen Jesus in a new light and you've seen his power and glory in a bigger and more beautiful way, know that. Love God more and love your neighbors more because of it and share the gospel. Because it is so powerful. And God's word is so orchestrated and so clear that God is in control that I don't want to see people miss out on the beauty of it. And more importantly, miss out on reconciliation with God because that's what Jesus came to do. And what we just read in John chapter 12 is the beginning of what's called Passion Week, the final week before the resurrection where Jesus knows fully what he's going into And he walks into a crowd that is praising his name and laying down palm branches and treating him as royalty. And four days later, in that same city, with likely some of those same people, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And he willingly lets them do it because he knows that's the only pathway for us to get to the Father because of the amazing love of Jesus. So that's what we're going to end tonight thinking about, the amazing love of Jesus. And whether you're shouting his name in praise or cursing his name, he died for you. Will you repent and turn to him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this day in history. Thank you for giving John the courage to share it along with the other gospel writers. Thank you for predicting this day so clearly in so many ways throughout the Old Testament that when it came to pass, we can't miss it. It's so clear who the Messiah is and what he was sent to do. So God, help us to give our hearts and lives to Jesus. Help us turn from sin and Face you to reconcile with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus, because of what he was willing to do starting on Palm Sunday. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming and joining us and hanging out with us on Memorial Day weekend. It's amazing to see, you know, a majority of us still show up on a holiday weekend. And I hope it's because you know how much Jesus loves you. And I'm so thankful that we got to share that song at the end, reciprocating our love for him and singing that back to him. And so with that, I just want to leave you with this weekend. Remember what it's about, those who laid down their life for us so that we could experience what we have this weekend, our freedoms. But the most important freedom is the freedom from sin. And that came because Jesus laid his life down for us. With that, I'll see you next week.